The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Could you uh, take your Bibles, turn in them to Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 22 through 41. If you're using that uh, Bible in front of you, it's on page 1693. And we are beginning a series uh, on the life of David. And you might be wondering, why are we in the book of Acts if we're going to talk about the life of David? Um, Well, to speak of the life of David really is to speak of the life of David's son, which is Jesus uh, Messiah, uh, the promised one. And we're going to find out this morning, you know, ask the question, what is it that David believed about this Messiah, about Jesus Christ? What is it that the early church proclaimed about him? And in Acts chapter 2, we'll hear the very first sermon that was preached. So Jesus was crucified, died, risen, showed himself to his disciples for 40 days, ascended. 50th day is Pentecost, and then Peter preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And we will see that what David believed is what the New Testament church proclaimed and confessed and also what we too uh, believe as well. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and following, and we'll just stop along the way uh, a few points to reference, uh, reference David. So beginning at verse 22, we read together. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter quotes somebody. Who does he quote? He quotes David. And this is a psalm of David. It's Psalm 16, so if you want to just take a note of it. Uh, Peter says, David said about him these things. What did David say about the Christ in Psalm 16? Well, he says these words. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Did David believe in the resurrection of the Messiah? Absolutely. Continues, verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was, what does the word say? Prophet? And knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, what did he speak of? He spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit has poured out what you now see and hear. Again, referencing David, verse 34, it says, For David did not ascend to heaven, 
And yet he said these words that are from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So if we could, we'll insert a few words to help clarify it. The Lord, you can think of God the Father Almighty, said to his Son, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. So the Father said to his Son, the Lord said to my Lord, do what? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And says there, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other disciples, the apostles, what should we do? And the response is, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins. And this promise is for you for your children, for all who are far off and for all who are near. So what did David believe? David believed in the promise of Messiah that would come, would die for the sins of the world, but on the third day would rise, would ascend, and would sit at the right hand of the Father, and all the enemies would be put under his feet. Amazing, isn't it? So when we speak of David, we speak of the life of David's son, Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, the way you can look at it uh, is this. It's filled with types and shadows. You could call them foreshadows. And so you can fill in the blank to speak of not only David, but to speak of, say, Joseph, or to speak of Moses, or to speak of the Exodus, or to speak of the tabernacle, or the sacrifices, or the feasts, or the festivals. To speak of all of these things is to speak of Christ. So let me give you a, a couple of a visual ways to look at it. First, if you can think of the Old Testament as a funnel. So from top to bottom, it's wide, and then it funnels down, and it's poured into a cup. And this, it's called that the cup of salvation. And so Jesus says to his Father, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? So the Old Testament funnels all the law and the prophets, all the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbath days, the Exodus story, uh, the priesthood, and the king himself all funnel into this cup of salvation which Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, drinks. Jesus himself says in Matthew, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Or you could change the word, to fill them to the full. And so he is the sacrifice, so the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when he's sacrificed, any more need for sacrifices? No. He is the priest, the permanent priesthood. He is the tabernacle, the holy of holies. The curtain is torn from top to the bottom, and he is the king. Now Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, a different image now, He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, new moon celebration, a Sabbath day, you know, all those Old Testament um, observances. These are all a shadow of the things that were to come, but the reality is who? The reality is Christ. All those Old Testament observances were shadows, four shadows of the reality which is found in Christ. And so you can look at it this way. You see the New Testament as the light. And it shines on the incarnation of Christ, the ministry of Christ, 
the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, his ascension, his you know, sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. A light shining on that sacrifice, and then it casts the shadow. And now as you read the Old Testament, you can see it. You can see the shadows of the cross of Messiah all throughout uh, the Old Testament. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, all those shadows. You see them. Adam. Well, who's the second Adam? Jesus Christ. Who is the seed of promise? Well, Jesus Christ. Who is the righteous man? You know, you talk about this righteous man all throughout the Old Testament. Blessed is this righteous man who walks in the ways, you know, of the Lord. Well, the righteous man is Christ Jesus. Who is the prophet? Who is the priest? Who is the shepherd? Who is the suffering servant? Who is wisdom of Proverbs? Who is the word of God? Who is the rock from which the water comes? Who is the true manna, the bread from heaven? And the answer is, they're all fulfilled in Christ. So the Gospels begin this way, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how the Gospels begin. Paul begins his epistle of Romans this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he did what? Promised beforehand. Beforehand where? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. And what was promised? Well, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this David that we talk about is a type or a foreshadow of uh, Jesus. Now I thought, what would be the, um, the main events that you would know, uh, you know, kind of put David in these categories? Well, there's five. I'll give you four. We'll save the, the fifth one for the end of our time together. But these four, I think you would agree, right? When you think of David, you think of him as a, a shepherd boy, right? The shepherd boy who's out in the fields, and all of a sudden he's called, and now uh, he's the, you know, the least of the brothers, and he is uh, the one who is anointed king. What do shepherds do? Well, they guard, and they watch over, and they protect the flock. He's a psalmist, a songwriter. And if you read the Psalms, uh, I, I found this way. I turned the corner on that a while ago, um, you know, when you realize that you just you don't read the psalms to study them, but you read the psalms to pray them. To pray them. And so the psalms become words that God gives to us to pray, to give voice. But it's also the words of Christ, our brother, praying them with us. And so David is this intercessor, the one who is a priest on our behalf, but also giving us words to pray as priest for other, but also hearing the words of Jesus, the great high priest, praying for us. He's also a warrior. He fights and he conquers and he's a king. He rules and, and he reigns. And so then in the New Testament, what do you hear? Same type of images, don't you? Jesus saying, I am the, I'm the good shepherd. And when Jesus comes into you know, Jericho and he's walking, the blind man on the side of the road cries out, Lord, son of David, have Mercy on me. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the crowd says, Hosanna. They're quoting Psalms. 
Hosanna, Lord, save us. Son of David, save us. Jesus before Pilate, are you a king? Well, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. Over his head on the cross is posted, this is the king of the Jews. From the cross, Jesus prays the Psalms. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prays, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And we understand also that he rules and reigns. He sits at the right hand of the Father. So what does David believe? What does David believe about Messiah? Well, four things, and then we'll add a fifth one uh, at the end. David believes these four things. First of all, David believes and knows that he is a shepherd. But he also believes and knows that there is a one who is greater than him, the shepherd. David is a shepherd, but there is one to come who is greater than him, who is the shepherd. Psalm 78. It says, God chose David his servant. And where did he take him? Take him. He took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. He led them. David, a shepherd. Now, again, David knows that he's a shepherd, but there is one who will come who will be greater than he, the shepherd. Can you think, probably the most famous line of all the Psalms? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leadeth me beside the still waters, restoreth my soul, leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then what? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David, a shepherd, knows that there is one coming. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And you get to say that as well, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, is it any surprise then that when Jesus in his ministry comes, in John 10, he says these words, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are other sheep pen, and the sheep know my voice. And he speaks about going and seeking and finding the lost sheep. So, I mean, here's, here's the image. If, if God in Christ is the shepherd, then what does that make each one of us? Sheep. Lost sheep, hurting sheep, confused sheep, vulnerable sheep. And David understood that there was one who was going to come who would be the shepherd, who would seek and to save the lost who would protect the frail, the vulnerable, would guard, watch over. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because our shepherd is with us. So what does David believe? That there is a shepherd yet to come. Second, David knows that he's an intercessor, writes the Psalms. I mean, you read the Psalms, you'll hear such things as, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And uh, yet he also believes that there is one who is greater than him coming. Jesus, the Messiah, the intercessor. So in Psalm 141, David says, O Lord, I call to you and come quickly to my rescue. Hear my voice when I call to you and 
May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my voice be like the evening sacrifice. David, as a priest, is offering up prayers on behalf of himself and the people. Now, when we pray, sometimes we think words are involved, right? But I think the deepest prayers come without words. With groans and sighs and, and moaning and throwing up your hands or shaking your fist or you know, just sitting and you, you know, shrug your shoulders and there's that deep sigh. You ever pray, pray prayers like that? Well, here's one, Psalm 6. In fact, let's, let's say it together. I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and they fail because of all my foes. So David, as an intercessor, knows what it's like to pray like that. But there's a greater intercessor who also prays this psalm. Messiah. Now you might think of that and say, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that Messiah I mean, would flood his bed with weeping and drench his couch with tears and his eyes grow weak with sorrow. Well, this is where the light of the New Testament helps us understand the old. So in Hebrews chapter 5, what does it say? During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, how? With loud cries and tears. Can you think of places where he did that? Father, If there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And he cries and he weeps with loud cries and tears. The intercessor on our behalf. He's also the priest, the great high priest. A couple chapters over in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, but because Jesus lives forever, what type of priesthood does he have? permanent one. Remember, he is the priesthood. No more need for sacrifices day after day after day. When he offers a sacrifice, Hebrews says he sits down. He's done. It's finished. Lives forever, has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because what does he do? Because he always lives to intercede for us. In Romans 8, Paul speaks of this continual intercession of two persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, but also Jesus himself. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul writes? Who will condemn us? No one. And then it says these words, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. We are frail, we are weak, we don't know how to pray. What's the good news? A brother in the flesh, descendant of David, stands before the very throne of God, interceding perfectly for us according to the Father's will. David knew that. David also understood that he's a warrior, but he understood that there was one who was greater than him who was coming, who was going to be the warrior. Psalm 144, David writes this warrior psalm. Praise be to the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. 
The little chorus that was sung about David after his warrior um, battles goes something like this from 1 Samuel. Slain, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Because of the light in the New Testament, we can add a little phrase to that chorus and say, well, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands, but Jesus the Christ has slain what? How many sins has the world committed? Keep numbering them, right? Has Jesus slain them? Yes. All the rulers, the powers, the principality, how many are there? Countless, right? The power of death. How many have died? He's defeated that. Sin, death, the power of the devil. Saul may have slain and killed his thousands. David may have slain and killed his ten thousands. But Jesus the Christ has killed and has slain all of sin, all of death, and all the power of the devil. So when you read the Gospels, what do you see? A warrior, don't you? A warrior goes to the Sea of Galilee... And there's a Gerizim demoniac, and he's filled with legions of demons, and Jesus casts the demons out into the, into the swine. He's taking authority over the supernatural realm. Then he gets into the boat. Seas rise up. He stands up in the boat and says, be still. Taking dominion over the, the natural realm. He goes and says to the little girl who has died, get up. Lazarus, come forth. Why did Christ come into the world? Can you give me one sentence? Why Christ came into the world? 1 John chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Christ the warrior. Christ the victor. The one who fights against your sin and my sin. Takes it upon himself. The one who fights against our enemies. The world that comes at us and the devil. Christ the victor. David believed that. Fourth, David also knows that he is a king, but there is one who has been promised who will be greater than him, which is the Messiah himself. So Psalm 110, which Peter quotes in his Pentecost sermon, says this, The Lord says to my Lord, again, who is the Lord? The first Lord is the Father Almighty, says to his Son, the second person of the Trinity, Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So the Father says to Jesus, do what? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So when an enemy is conquered, the king comes, sits on his throne, they bring a footstool with the emblems emblems of the enemy and he puts his feet on it and he rules and reigns over them. Now where does that happen in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter says these words. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he he must reign until he has done what? Put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. The great creed in Philippians chapter 2 speaks of the humiliation of Christ. That he takes the very nature of a servant. Becomes obedient to death itself. But what does God the Father do in the resurrection and the ascension? 
Let's read it together. What does he do? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so over the cross is the sign saying, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate examines Jesus, says, are you a king? Are you a threat? That's the charges they're bringing. Are you a king? Are you a threat? He says, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. And what does Pilate do? Well, I find no fault in this man. And the crowd says, crucify him. So an innocent man goes to a cross and is punished. And over his head is said the king of the Jews. So an innocent man goes to a cross for punishment. Why? Well, here's the fifth one. David knows himself as a sinner, but he also knows that one will come, the promised Messiah, who we know as Jesus, who will become the sinner. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Because we always speak of the life of Christ as being fully you know, God and fully man, perfect in his obedience, without sin, and all that is true, right? Well, let's see what David has to say about some of these things. So there's a backstory to this. Remember the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? You know, that, that one that you, you're going to ask your friends to read the Gospels, right? And you get to Matthew chapter 1 and it goes, oh, all these names. Just, you know, skip to the good part where, you know, it starts to tell the Christmas story. But in that genealogy, it starts this way. It says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then a list of names, right? There's one phrase in there that is very interesting. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been been Uriah's wife. It doesn't say Bathsheba, does it? When it says, who had been Uriah's wife, what was just declared for everyone to read? David's lust, David's adultery, David's deceit and lying and trying to cover up, and David's order that ended up in murdering Uriah. And so it's right there in the genealogy, the twisted tree of the Messiah, Uriah's wife. And Nathan comes to David, Nathan the prophet comes to David, confronts him on his sin, and says, you're the man. And what does David do? Does he rationalize it? He says, oh, hey, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want, mind your own business. No. You find in Psalm 51 David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Goes on to say, Against you, you only have I sinned, done evil in your sight. Then he pleads, Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. And so David declares himself to be a sinner. He agrees with Nathan. He agrees with God. And so also we need to do that when confronted by God's law, his perfect law. I am the man. You are the man. You are the woman. But does David just believe that, or is there something else? He also believes that there is one who will come, who will become the sinner on his behalf. 
Now, Psalm 40 speaks of that. So we'll just do a little bit of help from the uh, New Testament to shine a light on this. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's very specific in Hebrews that it connects Psalm 40 to Jesus. It puts Psalm 40 on Jesus' lips. So Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and it quotes Psalm 40. So the New Testament tells us that these words we're about to read together are whose words? Jesus the Christ. Let's let's read them. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you are not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Who is the come? Who is the one who has come to do the perfect will of the Father? Jesus Christ. Again, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but, but your will be done. And what is the will of the Father? That Jesus would become the sin on behalf of the world. All of sin placed on him. He would become sin, become the sacrifice, and pay the wage for sin, which is death. Now Psalm 40 reflects that, picks it up. So here's Psalm 40, verse 12. Let's read it together. Remember, uh, again, Hebrews tells us whose psalm is this? Who's praying this? Jesus, right? The, The Spirit of Christ within David is speaking this psalm. So let's read it. For troubles without number surround me, My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. But I I thought we just said that Jesus was the spotless Son of God, without sin, perfect in every way. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And what does Pilate declare him to be? Innocent. And he goes to the cross, and when he goes to the cross, the multitude of sin is placed upon him so that what Paul says then is true. Be reconciled to God, Paul says, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does Jesus then become? Well, think of David's story. He becomes the one who lusts, the one who committed adultery, the one who plots and schemes, the one who is a murderer, all of that sin is placed on Jesus Christ. Does David understand that? Yes. Again, Psalm 40. For troubles without number surround me, my sins have overtaken me. Christ has taken the sin of the world so much upon himself that what does he call it? My sins. Good news. If it's his sins, then it's no longer our sins. Our sins. How many of them? More than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. And that's why he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, The hymn goes, You know, the Father turned his face away. And so the gospel proclamation is, Be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. 
So that went on Christ, our sin. The spotless one, the sinless one, the innocent one becomes the guilty one. And what do we receive? All of the righteousness of Christ, the works of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the purity of Christ. We're declared not guilty. And we receive that by faith. The Holy Spirit gives us that. And that's what David believes. David believes that. So what is it that you believe? Well, the two should be the same, shouldn't they? It's not like plan A in the Old Testament and plan B in the New Testament. And No. What David believes is what we believe, and what we believe and confess is what David believes. We have a beautiful heritage in our church. It's the um, second article of the Apostles' Creed. Martin Luther gives us some beautiful words. And so let me ask you, what do you believe? We'll say these together. Well, so what is it that you believe? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. True God assumes the human nature, and that human nature happens to be a descendant of David. Born of the Virgin Mary, and we now call him my Lord. No other gods. He's my Lord. So, what did he come to do? Well, with David, we confess. Who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. Jesus Christ has purchased and won me, a lost and condemned creature, redeemed me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. So what did it cost him? Did it cost him the treasury, you know, of gold that a king has? Well, what do we believe? Not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. So did he die for his own sins? No. Innocent, suffering and death died for our sins. Holy, precious blood. Behold, the pure, the spotless Lamb of God. Well... What's the result of that? That I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Christ takes our sin. We get righteousness. We receive innocence. We receive blessedness. That's what we receive. And how do we end it? Even as he has risen from the dead lives and reigns to all eternity. And let me ask you, is it true? That's just not true. This is most certainly true. It's most certainly true. Now, if you hold it to be true, what should you do with that news? You share it with others, can't you? Because do they, can you think of people who need to know that there's the shepherd? That there is the intercessor? That there is the warrior? that there is the king and that there is one who has become the sinner for them? If you know about that, we believe it, we teach it, we confess it, and we, we share it. We say, this is most certainly true. So let's do what David did. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51, page 889. 
And we're going to use this as a time to prepare for the Lord's Supper, where Christ himself says, Take eat, this is my body, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But in confessing Psalm 51, we will agree, as David did, with the prophet, the word of God, that we are, I am the man, and you are the man, and you are the woman. We haven't loved God with all our heart, our soul, mind, sinned against our neighbor. We'll use Psalm 51 through verse uh, 1 through verse 12. We'll confess it together, and then I'll leave some quiet moments for you to prepare uh, for the Lord's Supper. Let's say these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Said you are proved right when you speak, justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you. For his sake forgives you all your sins. The called, ordained servant of Christ by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.